future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as He wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. All right, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here with us. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or maybe in the chapel at one of the offsite campuses, wherever you might be. We are glad that you're here, here as well. I wanna give a special shout out to two campuses that you might not know about. As of this weekend, there are 700 men at McDougal Correctional Facility that had the opportunity to attend the Seacoast service. There are locations. I just wanna say welcome. Welcome to you guys. Also, at Allendale Correctional Facility, there's 1,200 men, and there are between 200 and 250 that attend every single week, and they like to consider themselves our 14th campus. So uh, just wanna say, let's squash that this weekend. No more considering, you're part of the family. Welcome, we are so glad that you guys are here as well. Hey, by a show of hands, how many of you either uh, here at Mount Pleasant or from the campuses joined us for this past week at our first Wednesday? service. Bunch of hands all over the place. It was an exciting night. Just to give you some, some perspective, 1,300 people fit in this room where I am right now. And on the average First Wednesday, there is somewhere around 1,000 people. And at this past week at First Wednesday, there were 3,000 people here in the building. Every adult venue, children's environment, we had pulled out every chair in the building. In fact, we were standing room only all over the place, and it got to the point where our team was opening up closets, pulling out anything that resembled a chair. And as I was walking around the building, I snapped this picture of a woman that was sitting on a roller cooler <laughs> in the hallway looking at the TV. I'm telling you, there ain't nobody I would sit on a roller cooler for two hours except Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so you know he was showing up just thankful for all of those that came out for uh, that night. And man, I want you to know, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. We didn't, we didn't clap, we didn't raise our hands. In fact, most of the time I slept through church. And uh, so what we're experiencing now is unlike anything I've ever experienced personally, I don't have any like context for it, but every day since then we have continued to get emails, testimonies of people that experience just miraculous healing in, in one way or another. So as we get started today, I wanna take a minute and read you a few testimonies that your faith may be built up. One of which says, I've been in pain for five plus years. My hip, my butt, my leg, numbness and burning. I was a runner and last night the burning pain disappeared. This morning it was still gone. Last night I slept pain-free for the first time in years and the only side effect was waking up in the middle of the night over and over to say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I was like, man, I'm telling you. 
Another one from Rob. He was watching online uh, in our Irmo campus. He was watching from his apartment and he said this, for the last six months or so, I've dealt with functional pain in my left shoulder for running full speed into a fence while playing softball and jarring it out of place. Once the pain seemed to subside after a few days, I just dealt with the discomfort. Well, last night when Micah began to speak healing over body parts and said shoulder, a light bulb went off and I remembered my shoulder pain. It had become so normal to me that I don't think about it much. But instantly, right after he said healing in the shoulder, my shoulder pain was gone and I had full range of motion in my left arm, which I haven't had since the accident. Amen and glory to God. Man, Rob, we're celebrating with you. That is awesome. Praise God for that. We're gonna talk about running full speed in defenses later, but in the meantime, we're celebrating with you. One more from Grace. She's a high school senior here in Mount Pleasant. She said, I invited my entire rugby team to come and seven girls showed up. Five of them walked out physically healed in some way and two of them gave their lives to Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we can celebrate right there for that one. This is great. As they were leaving, one of the girls who walked in on crutches said, I came in so skeptical, thinking that I would definitely be leaving on these crutches when I walked out, but I was wrong. <laughs> so, just an incredible night. Why is it so important for those of us that have experienced the miraculous hand of God in some way to talk about it, to share those stories with others? A couple passages for you there on the top of your outline. Revelation 12:11 says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It's talking about the enemy here. Some translations say they were victorious or they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, talking about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The price for our sin was settled, was paid in full, the finished work of Jesus and the word of their testimony, meaning as they were willing to share the story of the work that God has done in their life, it caused faith to rise up and other believers that they too were victorious over the enemy. We see this as a pattern all throughout the Gospels. In fact, one of my favorite stories is when Jesus healed the man that was possessed by demons. His life was so transformed that he said, Jesus, can I come with you? Can I be a part of your, your ministry? And Jesus told him, no, I want you to go back to your home, to your family. There on your outline in Luke 8:39, it says, Jesus told him, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He didn't just go home and tell his wife or the kids. Man, he went all over town knocking on doors. Hey, let me tell you about this work that God has done in my life. So if you've experienced his miraculous healing hand in some way, man, now is the time to bear witness. Give testimony to the work that God has done in your life. What's interesting about that, though, is that for every testimony I've heard of someone who's experienced a miraculous healing in some way, I've heard just as many stories of people that have shown up full of faith, seeking God for their marriages to be restored, for uh, sicknesses to be healed, folks who are, are still waiting on their miracle. And so I wanted to take just a minute today as we get started and speak to those folks. And the, the person that came to mind for me was the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us that Paul himself had a, a thorn in his flesh. And the language he uses to describe it was a messenger from Satan that tormented him. There was something that was going on in his body. We don't know what the condition was, but it, it tormented the Apostle Paul. And when you think about his ministry, he was a guy that God used to perform the miraculous everywhere he went. God would, through Paul, give sight to the blind, open up deaf ears, bring dead people back to life, yet he himself had some kind of physical ailment that God wasn't bringing about healing to. 
So he had two options there. In his waiting and praying in faith, pleading with God, it says, for a miracle, he could have become calloused, he could have become cynical, he could have started asking questions that didn't lead to life or making assumptions that God was either mad at him or, or God didn't love him, or he could use his waiting to fuel his desire to know, love, and walk with God. God's response to Paul was that my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly in insults and in hardship and persecution, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So if you're here today and you're still waiting on your miracle, we want you to know as a church family, man, we are gonna stand in faith and pray with you, believing for the miraculous hand of God. But until your healing comes, be sure that his power rests upon you. His grace is sufficient for you and he's gonna be glorified and empower you to walk through, not get stuck in or be defined by, but to walk through whatever it is that, that you're crying out, praying for healing over. So what I wanna do today as we get started is something that is gonna ask you to be a little bold here in Mount Pleasant and at the campuses, wherever you might be. If you would say today that you are still waiting on your miracle, would you raise a hand for me and keep it raised? If you're sitting near one of these folks who have raised a hand, would you just reach a hand out towards them? I want us to pray over each of these folks as we get started. God, I thank you so much, first of all, for just the, uh, the incredible work that you're doing right now in our church. And I'm reminded of Luke chapter 17 when you healed the 10 men of, lepers and of leprosy and only one returned to say thank you. God, we want to be a people that are quick to return to you, to praise you, to say thank you for all that you have done. So we praise you and we thank you for every person, for every story that has experienced your miraculous healing hand. And this morning, God, we pray especially over every hand that's raised. God, you know every, every condition, every cry of their hearts, you know and have seen the way they pleaded just as Paul did, for marriages to be restored, for sicknesses to be healed, for children to come and know, love, and walk with you. God, you know every prayer, and we just speak right now blessing over each of them in Jesus' name. Would sicknesses be healed? We stand with them in faith that you would restore and bless and heal marriages. Whatever the need, God, we pray that you would show up in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, um, so Katie and I, the beginning of this year in January, Katie and I moved into a new house. And it's a, it's a house that I'm, I'm kind of fixing up, a little bit of a renovation project that's still a little bit of a construction zone in that we don't have a kitchen yet, which is kind of an important thing. And some of the light switches don't have switch plates, and so you kind of hold your breath when kids turn the lights on. <laughs> But I'm getting there, we're making progress, it's coming along. Well, because of that, we haven't unpacked everything. I really hung pictures, we've kind of been taking it slow. And this past week, I kind of came across some boxes that I didn't remember packing. I was like, man, those things must be old. So I took one upstairs and started unpacking and I found a bunch of vintage Team Walters paraphernalia. Pictures, letters, all kind of stuff. I brought one, one picture to show you. This was from about 2000 or so. And, uh, uh, yeah. What's special, what's special about this that you can't see, it's, it's obvious that I was heavily entrenched in the rap game, right? Suburban Eminem is kind of what I'm looking like there. But uh, all of my wardrobe back then was extra, extra large polo shirts and pleated khaki shorts that were about three sizes too big, so I had a little subtle sag in the back. Yeah, just pick it up just a, just a little bit. But what's most noticeable to me, notable in this picture, is the shell necklace and the earring. <laughs> I'm like, what was I doing, man? I don't know, but it worked. I landed the girl, <laughs> and I'm calling it a win, all right? Well, my, 
Second favorite thing as I went through these boxes was I found a bunch of letters. And do you remember that season when you found your significant other, like before you said I love you for the first time, you were trying to find ways to communicate like intense affection, like you're my one, and so you'd be like, I really, I really like you. You know, that's just, that's kind of weird. Well, one of the other ways that, that you would do that is by changing their name. Instead of just writing a letter with Josh at the top, you would come up with some like silly pet name, okay? Well, I found so many letters, every single one of them had some silly name. I brought a few for you to see. Look at that one, crazy baby. <laughs> hey, crazy baby. <laughs> you crazy baby, I don't even know. I don't even know about that one. Jay Sweet Boy, that's my rap name, Jay Sweet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Jay, sweet boy, sweet thing. It's like, Katie, when, when she learned I was gonna show these pictures, she said, hey, will you make sure they know that this was a teenage girl? I was like, babe, I'm not showing the ones from the teenage year. This was actually last year. <laughs> these aren't that old letters. Well, inside one of these cards, I found a letter that she wrote me on Easter morning. I wanna read that to you. I know. She said, Josh, happy, happy Easter. He is risen. What an awesome day to remember how amazing God's love is and how amazing his plan is. I just wanted to tell you I'm thinking about you and see if we could have a prayer date at two o'clock. Enjoy this blessed day and know you're such a blessing to him and to me. Thank you for teaching me and encouraging me. You are awesome. Christ is awesome in him, Katie. Now, y'all see what she did there, don't you? She likes to pretend like I was the one on the pursuit going after her, but this godly woman just asked me for a prayer date. <laughs> At two o'clock, you know what that is, right? That was an excuse to hold my hand, right? She was pretty much saying, hey, can we get together and hold hands and talk to Jesus together, right? Well, being a godly man, you know I was gonna show up with some anointing oil and be willing to lay on hands, right? I'm just kidding. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. We were committed and pure. We did, okay. But as I, as I look back through those... Uh, are we gonna recover? We ain't gonna recover. Okay. <laughs> right. I looked through those boxes and what marked me was our potential. Just love, man, we had so many dreams. Where are we gonna live? Is she gonna marry me? How many kids are we gonna have? Will we ever stop having kids? You know, like, what are we gonna do with our lives? Just so many dreams. And as I stand here now and look back on the last 20 years, I see so many different assaults at our potential. Moments where either because of the attack of, of the enemy or our sin, nature, or poor decision-making, moments that could have derailed our destiny, kept us from stepping into the plans that God had for us. As I look back now, man, there's nothing that Josh can take credit for. Man, I've ruined this thing multiple times over. If it were not for the grace of God, man, he has been present and fought for us and held us together our marriage, our family, our ministry, if it were not for the grace of God. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Vintage, and the premise of the series is we believe God is taking us to a new place as a church. And as we prepare to go to a new place, we wanna revisit some of the key themes and moments that have defined us as a people to really remind us of, of who we are and what God has done in this place that's so special. And if we were to go around the room and ask, in fact, let's do that, how many people have, have been here at Seacoast for 15 years or more? Raise a hand for me. All right, so not many hands, but a good bit of hands. All right, now put those down for me. How many of you have been here at Seacoast, here and at all the campuses for two years or less? Put your hands up for me. Oh, look at that, hands all over the place. 
The story of Seacoast is one that God has been authoring over 31 years, right? And so many of the amazing things that he's done, that he's done, we all show up here on a weekend and we experience his grace corporately. There's something about feeling and experiencing the love of God in this place. It feels like family. But there's so many of us that are, are pretty new, right? We've, we've just started coming in the last couple years, and so we wanna take some time to revisit some of these core values, things that would define us as a people. And this aspect, this idea of the, the grace of God, there has always been a special measure of grace on Seacoast. It, it defines the heart of God. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, not 50-50 grace and truth, but 100% grace and 100% truth. And we're committed to teaching and preaching the truth of God's word here at church, but grace is an attribute that we all experience. It defines the, the heart of God and also captures the heart of our founding pastor, Pastor Greg, so many times where he's extended, modeled what that grace looks like for each of us. One of my favorite stories of a staff member he showed grace to here has been coined the bad behavior bonus. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> and so we had, a, we had a staff member here that was renting a house, and uh, when it was time to move, his small group came over and they cleaned him out of the house and left it in great condition. He went back to the landlord to get his security deposit, and he got stiffed for it. The landlord didn't give it back to him. And he needed the money to go on to their next place, and so the pastor that worked here wrote that landlord a letter, essentially blessing him in Jesus' name <laughs> for how he had been treated. Right, and so the landlord showed up here to the office and requested a meeting with Pastor Greg and uh, sat down and said, hey, I just want you to see how your pastors talk to people. And so then Pastor Greg scheduled a, me a meeting with this staff member and brought the letter to him and he told him the truth. He called him to a higher standard and said, hey, we can't, we can't talk to people like this. We represent Christ. We're ambassadors of, his, ambassadors of him here in our community. But so he, he addressed the behavior and the wrong, but he also brought with him a check to the meeting, knowing that he was in a tight spot financially and he, he paid for that staff member's security deposit that he got stuck. And I just love that story because I feel like it captures uh, the heart of our leader, that man, he has extended grace over and over and over again to us as staff when we're not deserving of it, and it models the heart of God. And every weekend when we join one another corporately to worship him, we get to experience that kind of environment. Well, the Apostle Paul told people to model their lives after him as he modeled his life after Christ. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Pastor Greg has created a wake for us to walk in there. And so my question is, what would it look like for each of us individually to allow those around us to experience grace? Not just when they show up here and we, we feel it corporately on a weekend, but in our neighborhoods, and our family, and our workplace, what would it look like for people in some of their darkest, hardest, most painful, or everyday moments to experience grace through their encounters with us? Well, there's a passage today I want us to look at in John chapter eight, where a woman is in that spot and has an encounter with Jesus. She has many accusers and she's guilty, but she's marked by uh, the grace of God through an encounter with Jesus. I wanna read it to you, it says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, but the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and rode in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said to her, neither do I, go and sin no more. So what would it look like for people to experience grace through their encounter with us, much like this woman did, that allowed her to walk away marked by it? Not just talked to or taught about it, but having experienced it for herself. A couple thoughts for us there on your outline. People will experience grace when I, number one, see beyond their circumstances. See beyond their circumstances. I want you to put yourself in this story for just a minute. This is a, a high drama story. There's a lot of details that we're not told, so we've gotta kind of fill in the blanks ourselves that tells us this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We don't know what she was doing exactly or what she was wearing, but it probably wasn't modest or appropriate. We don't know if she had time to put her clothes back on or just wrap something around her. But here we have these guys parading her through town to use her as an example to try to trap Jesus. And so they throw her into the front of the crowd. If you can imagine your, your deepest, darkest sin, right? The things that, that you've done or do that you don't want anyone to know about. Imagine being dragged to the front of the church and being put on display for everyone. That's the moment this woman is in. She's humiliated, she's embarrassed, she's terrified. The law of Moses would require her to be stoned. In that day, and it happened, if you were caught in the act of adultery, you would be killed. They would throw stones at you. So while being humiliated and embarrassed, she's also terrified, thinking, I know what the law says, and I know what I deserve. Is this my time? Am I going to die? If people are gonna see, if people are gonna experience grace through us, we have to be willing to see beyond their circumstances. We have to see beyond the decisions they made that got them there. We have to be able to see beyond their accusers, regardless of how many fingers are being pointed at them, regardless of how many people are talking about them. We have to find it within our hearts to have God's eyes for them, to know that they are loved by him, that they are created in his image, that he has a plan for their lives, that he numbered the hairs on their head with great patience, the Bible says, he, he knit them together. All too often, it is so easy for us to get blinded by people's circumstances, to get caught up in the hype of the crowd. But that's not what we saw Jesus do here. Over and over throughout scripture, we see this principle reinforced where God has to remind us, hey, don't get distracted by what you see. You've gotta see beyond what your natural eye sees. There on the back of your outline, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint the king of Israel. And it's interesting to me that even for the prophet, the man of God that God spoke with regularly, he said, hey, when you go to this house, don't be distracted by natural appearance. Don't be distracted by what you see. The Lord told him, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus reiterated this same truth just a few verses later. In John 8, he said, you judge according to the flesh, but I judge no one. You judge according to what you see, right? The boxes that we put people in, based on their condition, based on their sin. But Jesus says, I judge no one. Man, all too often, it's so natural for me to even put 
conditions on God's grace for me based on the things that I've done or haven't done, based on my sin. It's easy for me to look at myself through my circumstances instead of what God's word says about me, that he loves me, that he's for me. We have to be able to see beyond people's circumstances. What sin is it that just brings about a righteous anger in you? When you see people do it, you almost feel as if you are standing up for God in that moment. Something that is a bad example for young people or something that just angers you or grieves the heart of God, what is that? All too often in those moments, we feel called to like lash out, to say something, to do something about it. What if in those moments that just grip and stir our hearts, bring about anger in us, what if God's not looking for someone else to judge them in the situation, he's looking for someone else to love them, right? Someone to, to love them, to display and model his heart. For people to experience grace, we have to see beyond their circumstances. Second thing we have to do there on your outline is get my hands dirty. Get my hands dirty. Verse seven starts off saying, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. See, ultimately, they were just using this woman in her sin, bringing about pain in her life to, uh, as a setup for Jesus. They knew if, if Jesus said, yes, you're right, she's guilty, stone her, that would be going against this gospel of mercy and compassion and forgiveness for sinners. And if Jesus forgave her, then he was gonna be breaking the law of Moses. And so what Jesus did here was so amazing. Have you ever been in an argument where like somebody comes at you hot and they're like, you don't even know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And for you to engage in the argument, it's like, well, you don't even know what you're talking about. And all of a sudden you're both yelling and you're like, Aah! you know, it's like the only way you can engage is to power up and get louder and louder. Well, what I love about what Jesus does in this moment where all eyes are on him, this woman is humiliated. Here, Jesus loves both parties. His heart breaks for this woman and he loves these religious leaders. He's the one man that could condemn her and her sin, but he doesn't condone her sin. He just reminds these religious leaders of theirs as well. And so he bends down and draws in the sand. And I'm like, gosh, what did he draw in the sand? He's like doodling in the sand. Can you imagine? And it says, it says Jesus, it says they slipped away the oldest first. I wonder if he was writing like Billy. And Billy was like, no, 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 Jesus, don't, don't mention it. <laughs> I'm out, right? It's like, what was he writing? When Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand, he got his hands dirty. And for people to experience the grace of God through their interactions with us, it is gonna require us to get our hands dirty. Last Monday, Katie uh, got back from Togo. She leads a nonprofit in Togo called Francis and Benedict where they employ women and provide housing and education and food and healthcare and uh, they make skirts and that they sell here and all the proceeds go back to Togo. Well, every trip they go on, they bring back like 20, 25 bags of skirts that are around 50 pounds a piece. And so they land at about 10 o'clock that night and they're pushing all these carts through the airport to get to the customs counter. And first counter they came to, literally they were closing right as they pushed them all up. And so they go up to the fifth floor, they'll help you. So they push all these carts up there and they get there and they're closing. They say, go down to the second floor, they'll help you. So it's like, great, thank you. You know, and so they push all the carts down there. 
Well, when they get down to the last custom counter that's open, it's about 11 o'clock, there's a line of people, the workers are standing behind the counter and Katie realizes that they appear to be on strike or something. They're not talking to each other. The line's not moving at all. People are stressing out in line. Folks from other countries missing connecting flights and all they need is their things stamped. And so after hearing a couple stories and seeing other people's tears, Katie kind of steps out of the line to say, hey, hey, who's in charge here? Who's the boss? Where is the manager? You people aren't even talking to each other. You're not working. I wanna speak to the boss. And so this woman comes up and says, ma'am, how, how can I help you? She says, these people are missing their flights because your team isn't even talking. Nobody's working. Are they on strike? You gotta get them going. Let's talk. She said, ma'am, ma'am, that's not your problem. And Katie said, no, you've made it my problem because I've heard all their stories, right? And I just got a testimony. You don't wanna get mama mad. She goes, man, it's not going in well for you, you know? But I love that Katie had gotten to the point where after standing in line with all these women, she had compassion on them. She felt their pain. It's not the norm for her to be outspoken like that, right? To call out for the boss. Well, when we get our hands dirty, we're gonna have a voice for the people who don't have one, right? We're gonna make a scene. We're gonna get rowdy for people that they might experience the grace of God, but it's gonna require us being willing to get our hands dirty. First Thessalonians 2.8 says it this way. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Who is it that God might be calling you to get your hands dirty for? You know, chances are there's some names of people that come to mind right now. I wanna encourage you, write those down on your outline and share them with someone. You know, all too often, God can bring a name to mind, a face to mind, but Monday's coming, the week's gonna be busy, and all of a sudden you'll be back in these same seats next week and think, oh man, I didn't reach out to him. Write that name down, share it with somebody that would hold you accountable to praying for, pursuing, to getting your hands dirty in some way for them that they might experience the grace of God. So people will experience grace when we see beyond their circumstances, when we're willing to get our hands dirty. And number three there on your outline, when we speak to their future. I love what Jesus did here. Speak to their future. In John 8, 10, he says, then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want you to imagine the, the pain in her eyes and heart as she was dragged through town by these men that pulled her out of this home, threw her in front of a crowd, picking up stones along the way, terrified. For now, Jesus to ask her, he could have just said, ma'am, you're forgiven, you're free, go and sin no more. He could have just said the words, but he posed the question that she would have to speak them and feel them for herself. Man, where are the men that dragged you in town? Did not one of them condemn you? No. No, she said, not one of them is here. For the, Jesus to then compare that with his grace for her as well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, there's something powerful about the spoken word. About two weeks ago, uh, it was probably the hardest week I've had personally in years. Uh, largely had to do with this house we're working on. I knew going into it that this was the first house that I will have ever renovated without my dad being here, but uh, I just didn't know how to factor how that would feel. And uh, over the course of any renovation we've ever done, um, dad's always been there. He'll show up for a random couple days to uh, help me do a project or help me in a place if I was stuck in terms of time or work or finances, whatever it was. And I just didn't know how to factor 
the dad card. Well, I just got to a place where I was feeling overwhelmed and just stressed by it and not quite sure what to do. And it just kind of came to a head last Monday and I just had one of those like good, ugly cries. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was not pretty, but I just needed that like crash with God and Katie and uh, it was bad good, if you know what I mean. Well, Tuesday morning, I had a uh, planning meeting with Pastor Chip. We had a, a prayer training this past Tuesday night and I was meeting with Pastor Chip for us to plan that meeting and it ended up being an accidental counseling session for Josh. Have <laughs> you ever had a, a lunch appointment or coffee with a friend that ended up being all about you and you needed it to be, <laughs> right? And so I, I was talking with Chip just about all I was feeling and trying to process and, and realized that God was disciplining me in some areas and Chip said, Josh, God is disciplining you, but it's not because you've made a bad decision, it's not because you're in sin, it's not because you've done something wrong, all of which were a narrative that I had played along in my head a little bit. He said, Josh, why does the Lord discipline you? And he just left it, left it hanging there. And I know the passage, the Lord disciplines those he loves, but there was something about me speaking those words that reframed all of the, the pain and stress and pressure that I was feeling. That no longer did I, did I feel condemned or like I was being judged or stupid. I had eyes of love that, God, you so love me. That he was, he was weaning me from leaning on and relying on my dad to leaning on and relying on him. Inviting me to pray about some things, to go after him for some things that I used to have maybe called my dad about. And man, just speaking those words changed everything for me. You know, in Genesis 1, God could have created the world in any way that he wanted to, right? But over and over again, in verse three, verse six, verse nine, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, we read, and God said, let there be light. Separate light from the darkness. And God said, separate the land from the sea. And God said, let the sea be teeming with wild creatures. God said, let the earth have wild animals. And God said, let us make man in our image, the power of the spoken word. Man, if people are going to experience grace, we can't just teach them about it, right? We can't just talk about it. We have to be willing to speak to their future, to have hope for them in their deepest, darkest moments, that we would be able to see beyond their circumstances, that we wouldn't point a finger or judge them. You know what Jesus teaches us in this passage? that in our lives, we're gonna have so many accusers, people that label us, condemn us, point fingers at us, but he will never be one of them. You are free, go and sin no more. You need to know today that his heart is for you, that he loves you, that he's crazy about you, and most importantly, he's commissioned you to go and be an extension of his grace for others. But for each of us today, we can't give people something that we don't have. So for many of you today, I'm praying that you would experience the grace of God in a personal and powerful way. If you've maybe seen yourself in light of your sin, if you've judged yourself based on things that you are doing, have done, if you've maybe labeled God's heart for you or lack of love for you based on some healing that hasn't come yet, I pray Paul's words would apply to each of us, that his grace would be sufficient for each of us, that his power would be made perfect in weakness, that if you leave today knowing anything, it would be that God loves you, that he's for you, that his grace would be sufficient for you wherever you are. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for uh, 
just all that you're doing in our, in our church right now. And just uh, as I look back at my life and the, the history and legacy of our church and the lives of everyone here, God, if it were not for the grace of God, oh, where would we be? God, I pray that today in a, uh, in a personal way that we would experience your grace. As we hear that story, God, put us in the seat of that woman. God, worthy of death. The wages of sin is death. What I deserve because of my sin is death. But you so loved me that you sent your son, that he paid the price for my sin in full, that I would be set free, that I would be victorious. God, may your grace become personal to each of us today. May we experience it and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.